Okay, so the blessings of these verses. He has blessed us with air in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what those blessings are, we've been studying for however many weeks now. Now, in the first uh, three verses following verse 3, so 4, 5, and 6, we saw what the Father planned to do. What he decided to do, what he willed to do. And he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. And that predestination led to an adoption as sons so that we would become part of God's family. Now, let's just think about this as we retract for the last time chronologically. What the Father did in those six verses was all to do with a decision. And it's very clear in the context that the decision was made way, way back before the foundation of the world. As we've said before, maybe it's not even before anything, because before time exists, can you say before time existed? Because there's no time, so there's no before. But there was no world, and God the Father decided, He willed, that this would happen. And, of course, there is just the mind-blowing concept that he who knew all things had the concept of us as individuals as well as corporately within his mind in his decision-making process right there before the foundation of the world. Now, verses 7 through uh, 12, which we finished off last time, we see that... Just after the Father's been praised for his decision, that it's in Christ, which is the repetition right the way through the section, in Christ that this is able to happen. The Father decided to do something, but that could only happen because of the pivotal moment in human history, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way it could happen. And so... Though the Father decided that we would be adopted, that was only possible because through Christ's blood we have forgiveness from our sins and we have this redemption through his blood. So, chronologically again, before the foundation of the your way, before the foundation of the world, we have the Father making a decision. And then around about 2,000 years ago, we have Christ doing what was necessary for the Father's decision to take effect. I believe that the Old Testament saints who were faithful believers in God were saved on the basis of what Christ accomplished. I don't think that they actually got to be in heaven until Christ did what he did. But although they, many of them would have even had knowledge of what was about to happen, but nevertheless, what did happen made it possible for them to be saved in the past, before that moment, and for us in the future to be saved. Right? So chronologically, we've gone from the Father's decision before the foundation of the world to Christ doing what was required to allow for the Father's plan to come to fruition, and that was done about 2,000 years ago. When we pick up today in verse 13, 
What we're dealing with now is present. And this is the role, we've gone from Father to Son and now to Holy Spirit. The Father made the decision, the Son made it possible, and the Holy Spirit is the one who practically brings the blessings of Christ to us as individuals. Now, there is so much I want to say about the Holy Spirit today. And I'm going to hold back mostly. I know by the end of it you'll think I haven't held back, but trust me, I have. We are doing a series in the evenings, which I dearly encourage you to come to. A very, very important study going through the history of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. We're looking at how he dealt with believers in the Old Testament, how he dealt with prophets, priests, and kings, and, and, and then how it was prophesied that it would change, and then right the way through into the New Testament and how he deals with us today. In this study, we're skipping ahead a bit to the end. But there's a lot more detail and we'll be covering that in our evening services. So I encourage you, and if you can't come out for some reason, then please, please do try and catch up online. But uh, what we'll need to see today is the role in which the Holy Spirit plays in us being saved. That's what we're looking at now. Now, I'll say this as a backdrop. There is no doctrine... Historically speaking, in the last 100 to 150 years, that has done more to divide the church than the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I think that when we've gone through Ephesians, we'll just see how ridiculous that is. Paul, in Ephesians, talks about the Holy Spirit as being the very basis for Christian unity. And we're going to see the start of the foundation of that thinking here in these two verses. And if you went to many Christians and many Christian churches today and you said, tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit, you would get all sorts of weird and fanciful answers. And irrelevant of where one stands with regards to things like the gifts of the Spirit. That's irrelevant to all of our discussions today. Irrelevant of where you stand with that. There is stuff here that is absolutely foundational, fundamental. It is the bottom line of what the Holy Spirit means. And if when you think of the Holy Spirit, you're thinking about the debate over tongues or not tongues and what have you, you've missed the important stuff. It's like somebody worrying about whether the curtains in a house are nice or not, when the house is about to fall down because the foundation wasn't built properly. We should take no concern over, over uh, windows when, when the actual structure of the house isn't right. And I do feel that when we, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and everyone's talking about tongues and gifts, we're missing the important stuff. And the important stuff is right here. So let's look at verse 13. In Him, that's in Christ, in Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay. So in Christ, you also, so that's you who are saved now, as well as those who were the first who were saved. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him. Now there is a sequence here, okay? 
Let's start at the end of it. Cheat a little bit. Okay? The end of it is that we believed in him. That's Christ. It is us believing in Christ. Now notice, this is the first reference in all of this text. And it's only a passing one. It doesn't really get into detail until we hit chapter 2 and verse 8. But this is the first time that us doing anything is mentioned. The Father decided that something was going to happen. He's God, so when he decides it's going to happen. Christ accomplished something, and because it was accomplished by Christ, to tell us that it is finished, it was done. But it didn't come to fruition for me personally until I believed in him. And there we have, within these verses, the whole of that thing where God wills and man decides and everybody fights over which is true and the Bible teaches both. I decided to believe in Christ and God decided before the foundation of the world that he'd have me. Go figure. But when I believed in him, that's the result. So me believing in Christ brought about salvation. Now let's go back a step. I believed in him because I heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So this is a parallel term. The word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. Gospel is a term we're so familiar with, we forget sometimes what it means. But it means the good news of your salvation. It's interesting that it's good news of our salvation even before we believe. We hear the good news of our salvation and then we believe and then it becomes our salvation. But there it is. There's the good news and it's preached, that word of truth. Now, over the years there's been multiple people um, who have tried to do teachings balancing the word and the spirit like they need some sort of you know, like pepper and salt in a recipe, a little bit of this, or not too much of that, and a little bit more of this. It's just a nonsense. The reality is, is that the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. That's John 17, verse 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. It is that sanctifying process of us being made holy happens through the word of truth. This is why, as a church, we put such an importance on the preaching of the Bible. Because you can have whatever other stuff going on that you want. And you can have a church that is spirit this and spirit that as much as you like. But the spirit is not actually doing anything until the Bible is opened and preached. You can, you can do whatever you like, and, and, and honestly, and you can even pray all you like, but until somebody opens the Bible and says, this is the good news, nobody gets saved. This is the process that God has ordained for His will, decided before the foundation of the world, to be accomplished. This is how it happens. It happens through the word of truth. Now I want to encourage you this morning. That good news of salvation is not simply when I stand here in a pulpit with a microphone in front of people and preach the Bible. The good news, the word of truth is shared when you guys, when you guys understand the gospel and you share it. 
Because I am one person, and yes, I get a platform, so to speak. Literally as well as figuratively, I guess. But, but my job, and we'll, I don't want to jump ahead too much to Ephesians 4, but my job is to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. Too long, too often, churches rely on a single person. It's not my job to take the gospel to everybody. It's my job to equip you by teaching you this stuff so that you feel not just confident in your faith, but you feel excited about your faith, and so you share your faith. And when you do that, when you communicate the word of truth to someone, no matter how badly, then God can do his work. Because you see, we don't save anyone. As we're going to see, it's the Holy Spirit who saves someone. But there is a process that we're looking at in this verse. A process by which the Holy Spirit brings salvation to people. And that process is people hearing the word of truth. Now, you may have a speech impediment. You may stutter. You, you may be an introvert, and you may be shy. Maybe English is your second language and you struggle with it. It doesn't matter. Even if you're mute, you can communicate the gospel with sign. You can scribble it down on a bit of paper. If it's true, then God can use it. It doesn't matter how educated or uneducated you are. It doesn't matter whether you completed high school or you've got degrees coming out of your ears. It really doesn't matter. The gospel is the gospel. You communicate the gospel and then we see if God does his work. That's it. And that does not mean that some people can be confident in the gospel and others not so much because it's not about us it's not about how eloquent we are it's not about how how good we are at communicating it's not about how educated we are it's about the gospel so be encouraged this morning that you stumbling over your words feeling awkward thinking you've done a lousy job communicating the gospel with someone could be the thing that leads someone from darkness to light it could be the thing that completes God's plan for them that began before the foundation of the world. Any one of us, no matter how old, no matter how young, God does that work. So it is that word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. We have to hear it and then we can believe it. That's the process. Have to hear it and then we can believe it. And I have to say, I do, I often, I often think that sometimes the more a church goes on about how it's really in with the Holy Spirit, you know, we're a Holy Spirit church, then normally what that means is they're a church that neglects the word. And if they neglect the word, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit's not doing much there at all. That's how the Holy Spirit works, through this word of truth. Now look what happens here. In Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. So this is what happened. At the moment that you heard, you believed, and then what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, 
Ceiling's a funny thing, isn't it? It's a funny old word. word. I think that when we have the word seal, we don't really use seal very much. Maybe, you know, if you're, if you're cooking and you're, you're storing food for later in the freezer, you might seal a bag. Um, or you might seal an envelope if you're writing a letter. I think there's probably a better word here to communicate this, and that's brand. In the old cowboy movies, you know, and the horses are there and on the side. We're branded. We're slaves of Christ, branded by him to say, you are mine. Now, we're going to see in the very next verse that the work, our, the work in us is not completed. Go figure. I think we all understand that, don't we, when we live our lives every day. The work isn't yet finished. But at the moment that we believe, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the mark. It's the branding that says, you are now mine. We, we, ha- we started before the foundation of the world. The accomplishment that was necessary happened 2,000 years ago. And now that you have heard the truth and believed, the Spirit of God has branded you that you're Christ's. Now, let me say this clearly. You can't run. Jesus tells a parable of the lost sheep and how a man has a hundred sheep and one runs off. His sheep, branded, his. He goes, gets it. That's us. And the Spirit of God, as we'll see, is more than a mark on the outside. He is the very presence of God in the inside. And He will give us no rest. And it is Him who is the constant reminder that we are God's. And so, in continuing in this thought in verse uh, verse 14, when we're branded by the Holy Spirit, He is the mark that we're God's. Now, how does that happen? It says, the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now most versions here, instead of guarantee, will have a word like down payment or deposit. I actually prefer those translations. The word literally means that. It means a a down payment. But I guess it has the concept of a guarantee. Let's talk about what that means, okay? The, The sealing, the branding of the Holy Spirit is not merely a mark. What it is, is it is the giving of a deposit or a down payment. Now let's say that you went to a car dealership and you were going to buy a car for say $10,000, round figure, okay? So you're going to buy a car for $10,000, but you don't have $10,000 right now. And because of some bad decisions you made in your youth, you're not going to get finance either. So what you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to put down a deposit, a down payment of $1,000. And what you're doing with that down payment is you're saying a couple of things. Firstly, you're saying, hold that car for me. That's now mine. And it also says, I'm coming back with the other 9000 Now... How do, they, how do they know you're going to come back with the other 9,000? Because if you don't, they get the 1,000 for nothing. Now, we are, I'm sure, all very reliable, well-intentioned people. 
And when we say, I'm coming back with the rest of it, we, we really are. We, we mean well, right? But things happen, life happens. And sometimes we, we fail and we let, we let people down. God never fails. God never lets us down. When we believe, having heard the word of truth, God gives us his Holy Spirit and says, that's my deposit, I'm going to finish my work. That's huge. That is huge. Now, at this stage I need us to notice something that I know some people with different church backgrounds will find this difficult. I will try and be sensitive and gentle, but the text is clear, okay? The text says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guaranteed deposit, down payment, of our inheritance, okay? Who is? That Holy Spirit is the down payment. He is the down payment. It doesn't say that you get a bit of the Holy Spirit and then later you're going to get more of the Holy Spirit. It says you will be given the Holy Spirit, you are sealed with Him, and He is the down payment. What is to come is not more Holy Spirit. What is to come, as we'll see in a moment, is our redemption. There are huge areas of the church today that have made their, their distinctive to be the teaching of bits of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is often acquainted, uh, uh, equated with water. And you're a bucket and you drip out Holy Spirit and you need to be refilled with, with more Holy Spirit because you leak him out. And some people have a bit of him and other people have more of him. Oh my goodness, I want to bash my head when I hear that stuff. The Bible says you get the Holy Spirit when you believe you have him. There are no holes. There are no leakages because he is God's guarantee to you that he'll finish his work. And if he dribbles out, then that's not a very good guarantee. Now, I would love to spend a huge amount of time talking about the filling of the Spirit and what that means, to talk about Acts 2, to talk about all of this stuff. And that's what we're going to do in our evening series. So you can catch up then. Another good plug. But I want you to understand what this text says. When Paul hits chapter 4, he uses this foundational principle as the basis of Christian unity. The basis of Christian unity is this, guys, and hear this well. I am a Christian. I am saved. I heard the gospel and I believed and God gave me his Holy Spirit. It happened about 32 years ago. Okay? Some of you heard the gospel earlier than that. And some of you heard the gospel much later than that. We all have the same Holy Spirit. I don't have more of the Spirit than you do. 
He is not a salami sausage that can be sliced up. He is the third person of the Trinity. You either have him or you don't have him. Now, you may learn to walk in his ways more efficiently. You may grow in your faith and show greater evidence of his possession of you, for want of a better phrase. But you don't get more of him. That's what this whole passage started with. You have already received every blessing. And yet there are churches out there that draw people in on the very basis and say, come to us Christians, because you've got a kind of a substandard, low-level Christianity. We're going to give you more blessings, extra blessings, so that you can have a higher level of Christianity. What bogus nonsense. Every blessing is already yours. Maybe you need to learn to walk in those blessings better. Maybe you need to learn to use the tools that God's given you better. But you've received the blessings. And so because we all have that same Holy Spirit, that unites us. How on earth does the doctrine that is the central doctrine of Christian unity become practically the doctrine that has divided more churches than any other? Satan, that's how it happens. That's how the devil and demons work, through false teaching, splitting and dividing. Listen, if you today believe in the gift of tongues, you're welcome here. If you think that you speak in tongues, you're welcome here. If you think that's a load of rubbish and it doesn't exist today, you're welcome here as well. And you don't have to sit on one side or the other. We're not going to split you up. You can mix and mingle. Because it's the most ridiculous thing to separate over. What does matter though, is that we all understand that we are all, if we're saved, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the basis of our unity. And more so than that, the giving of the Holy Spirit, as we know, is the way in which God sanctifies us. And so, it is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So there's this inheritance that is ours, and we're going to get possession of it. The, the Greek here, it uses the word, I, I don't like the fact that the ESV loses this word in translation because we saw it earlier and we can link the two together. And that's the word redemption. Many of your versions will have redemption here. You see, there is the redemption that comes through what Christ accomplished. We have redemption. We saw that in verse 7. Redemption is, if you recall... Us having the price paid, which was the blood of Christ, to free us from our master, sin, so that we go to our new master, Jesus Christ. Right? But that redemption, that us being free from our old master, that is, in one sense, was accomplished on the cross and is applied to us when we believe. But in another sense, redemption is something that has not yet fully happened. And if you have sinned so far today, then you are proof of that. Because what happens is this. As people under the new covenant, when God saves us today, he gives us his Holy Spirit. 
As we're going to see in our evening studies, that didn't happen in the Old Testament so much. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And so we have this struggle because we've been given this new nature in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within us. God, we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to spoil it now, but the very presence of deity contained within us. The perfect Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And yet, that old nature, that old sinful nature that we have learned to love and we have obeyed all our lives, still lives there as well. And so there's that struggle. But one day, one day, the one who conquered death, conquered sin. And when we die, in a physical sense, then we can be sure that as He rose, that we, being in Him, will rise too. And when we do, there will be no more sinful nature. That's when our redemption is complete. That's what the job was for. Remember back in verse 4. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. I don't know about you, but I'm still falling short on that one. I'm not, I'm not holy and blameless quite yet. I've got quite a long way to go, actually. So, so, but there is a time when that redemption will be complete. And the fact that God's Spirit is in us now is God saying, I now have you. You're branded. You're mine. I'm in you. And you can be sure that I will finish this work. He who begun that work will be faithful to complete it. Doesn't matter what sins we throw into the mix. Doesn't matter how much we mess up. Doesn't matter how much we get wrong. God will see his purpose done in our lives. Because when he said before the foundation of the world, I want you, he didn't make a mistake. And there is a purpose for our lives. Do you understand as we come to the end of this this most glorious sentence in the whole of scripture. Do you understand how privileged we are? The father decided before the world was even made that he would have you. He had to send his son to the cross because the son's death, his blood, was the price that was required to redeem you from your master, sin. And now, now that you've heard, and now that you've believed, he's given you his Holy Spirit. Now don't you give me any of that sort of, I wish I was around when Jesus was on the earth. Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave. Because when I go, you will have another. The paraclete, the one that comes alongside, the encourager, the Holy Spirit. And we have that now. We're better off than the disciples were when they were living with Christ day to day for three years. 
We have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God says to us and tells us every day that we are here, God will finish that work. And you know, sometimes we look at our lives and we think, man, I am such a mess. But do you know how near the finish line you are? This thing started before the foundation of the world. It was only made possible 2,000 years ago. We're in, the, we're in the final straight, guys. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s now. I think, you know, I hope I, I hope I go on as long as some people here. If I make it to my 90s, maybe I'll get another 50 years at best. That's not a lot of time. You look at the scale of time over these verses, huh? That's not a lot of time. And then I'm going to be with him face to face. And I will never have to struggle with my sin ever again. Now that's a hallelujah. You know? Never again. Will I make a mistake? Will I get it wrong? Will I say something I shouldn't? Will I behave like I, in a way that will call, bring regret? Never again. And we're almost there. We're almost there. And it's something we should be excited about. When the Father made his plan, 4, 5 and 6, it was to the praise of his glory. When the Son made it possible... It was to the praise of his glory. And then here again also. We're going to ultimately have this inheritance, this possession, this conclusion, this redemption. Why? To the praise of his glory. Look, you look at this whole thing that we've been doing. You look at the whole structure of it. We believed. But we're just this little bit player. This whole thing has been happening just over the history of the world. And we're supposed to just look at this and just go, oh, wow, God, you are just something. I, I don't even have the words. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, God, that you would take me and use me, that you would give me your spirit, that you would guarantee that you're going to finish this work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't have to understand it. You, you can spend the rest of your life thinking, why, why me? You'll never get your answer. So forget it. Just say thank you. Just praise him. Just say, wow, this is it. This is it. And so, with that, we conclude these verses. And I hope and I pray that for us as a church, this understanding of salvation will be foundational for us. I hope and I pray that it will cause us to love God more. I pray that it will change us. It will have already changed us. For Paul, it was foundational for what he wanted to say in Ephesians. Because he goes on to say in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I think for this reason links... The fact that they have faith, but you can't separate that from what went before. We know all about their faith now. Faith happens through verses 3 through 14. So Paul is using this as a foundation for the reason to pray. You see, and, and this is my last point here today. And we'll pick up in verse 15 next time. And by the way, the rest of the chapter, one more sentence. <laughs> Paul goes on. But... 
It's not that we get to verse 14 and we say, brilliant, that's everything, we're done. Paul says, the fact that God has done everything that's necessary, the fact that God has given us every blessing, is the very motivation to pray. It's the very motivation to move forward. You see, we're not saying, you know, let go and let God. We're not saying, well, God's done everything, so hey, we're just going to sit back. We're saying because God has done everything, now there's a purpose. Now there's a reason. And now I want to pray. And now I want to move forward. And now I want to be changed. Now I want to see God use me. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. And so next week, we'll pick up in verse 15. And we'll see on what, what Paul builds on this glorious foundation. Let's pray. Father, I just, I hope and pray that this, these teachings and these words would be life-changing for people here. May we not buy into the lie that you can't use us, that you made a mistake. that we're of no importance. May we see our significance in this. But equally, may we see the other side, that we're nothing and you're everything. That you didn't do this because we were important, but you did this for us so that you would be praised and that you would be glorified. I pray that my words would have brought glory to you and I pray that our lives would have been changed. Amen.